made that possible and uh, put their energies into that. Thank you. And thank you for Seagrass, uh, Dave and Eva, who uh, cut down part of their petrified forest to, uh, to donate lots of trees for us as well. This is week number four in our series, Irrelevant, Does the Bible Matter? Week number one, 1 Peter 3.15, foundational verse for this series, to be attractive and relevant in an increasingly skeptical and cynical world, 1 Peter 3.15 says this, in our hearts we must first, before we go out, and try to share and talk about Jesus and the, and the Word of God. First, revere Jesus Christ as Lord and King. That's the secret. We must daily allow Jesus to rule and reign in our hearts and lives. And when we put Jesus first, revere Him as King daily. It's not just a one-time event, it's every day. Daily as we revere Jesus Christ as King... He will put people in our path who will notice. They'll notice you're you're living, you're talking, you're behaving differently. And when they ask, be ready to share an answer. Why do you put your hope in Jesus? Why do you follow Jesus? And he says, "And, and answer with gentleness and respect. Week number two key core central fact of the Bible is the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The, the bullseye of the Bible is the key event. Uh, we would call that the gospel, the fact that Jesus died, shed his blood for our sin problem, took our place in the grave early Sunday morning, arose from the dead. If that is a verifiable fact which there's lots of evidence for, and that's what we looked at in week number two, then that shows that the empty tomb is a powerful incentive for us to know this this book is relevant. It's alive. The bullseye of the Bible is true. If you didn't make it a couple weeks ago when we went through that, here's where you go, www.walloonchurch.com. When you miss a Sunday, you can look back and watch the last 10 sermons. So when you miss, that's a place you can go and catch up. Week number three, that's last Sunday, we examine the words of Jesus as he concludes the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, 24 to 27, he gives us a warning. Do you remember? The warning is this, in this life you will have storms. Storms are coming your way. Uh, Someone said, you know what, I remembered this week when the storm hit. You warned us, didn't you? Yep, the storm is either coming or get ready because you're in the middle of it right now. So storms, disease, death, depression, divorce, it's not a question of if a storm is going to hit your life, hit your family. It's a question of when Uh, they're coming. Jesus warns, if you don't build your life on me, if you don't build your life on my truth, when the storm comes, The storm is going to wreck you. The storm will destroy you. The the storm that hits you will reduce your life to rubble. But the promise is this. This is huge. If you do the hard daily work of building your finances on God's truth, 
if you build your marriage on God's truth, if you raise your children, Diamond and Marissa, on God's truth, if you base how you speak, what you think about based on God's truth, when the storm hits, it's going to hurt. (laughs) It's going to bring pain and tears, but you're able to stand and survive. And when we stand and survive the storms of life, follow me here, that's when people sit up and pay attention to us. It's, it's not when everything's going wonderful, but when we're able to stand on Jesus and His truth, and the storm hits and we can stand and survive, that's when they say, what's up with you? Because I got hit with a similar storm, and I didn't survive. How'd you do it? And that's with gentleness and respect that we share about Jesus Christ. Closing thought, the reason that church and followers of Jesus appear irrelevant today is not because the truth of the Bible is irrelevant. You ready? The Bible appears to be irrelevant is because most of us aren't taking the time to carefully build our lives on the rock of Jesus' book. That's why the church and the book appear irrelevant. Why? Because the storms of life are hitting us, and we say, oh yeah, I love Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, but when the storms slam our lives, what happens? Splat. Just like those who reject Jesus, just like those who want nothing to do with God's Word, and we're living no differently than they are, that's what makes us appear irrelevant. I'm telling you, when you build your life on Jesus and His book, that is so relevant. That will make a difference in your life, in your family, and the people watching you. Today, we're going to go to number four. We're going to examine some fingerprint evidence of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Okay? Does the Bible matter? Well, we're going to look at some fingerprint evidence And hopefully as we finish today, I'll let you make that call. We're going to see how well the loops, the whirls, the arches, the deltas, that's the uh, things that you have on your fingertips, how well Old Testament and then Jesus match. In other words, does Jesus match and fit the evidence of the fingerprints that the Old Testament requires? So since we're in December now, we'll start with a... uh, Jesus' born theme. Locate Micah chapter 5, verse number 2 on your phone or in your Bible. And then we're going to see how good you are. Okay? And then we're going to jump and read out loud, see if it matches Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Would you stand with me if you're able? Micah 5, 2. And then we're going to flip over Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Ready? Let me give you a little heads up, okay? Epaphrata. Say it with me. Epaphrata. Okay, say it fast, say it confident, no one will know the difference. Okay, here we go. But you, Bethlehem, Epaphrata, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Now we'll go to Luke 2, match the evidence. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. 
This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Let's pray. Lord, help us to examine the evidence well today. And I'm asking, Lord, as we examine, you'd help us to see whether or not Jesus fits and matches the requirements from the Old Testament. I pray once again this morning, Lord, for those who are struggling with doubt. There's a little bit of skepticism concerning your book. Lord, I pray especially for them that they'd be uh, able to examine the evidence and might the answers be clear and strong. Lord, open our eyes, soften our hearts, clear our minds of distraction. Speak, Lord, your church, we're listening. And all the church family at Walloon Lake said with one united voice, you can be seated. Did you know that no two fingerprints have ever been found to be identical? Multiple billions of human and computer comparisons, every set of fingerprints is unique. The arches, the loops, the whirls on your fingertips are so specialized, so personalized, that no other person ever born has your particular pattern. Go ahead, look at your fingertips. See if you can see. Yeah, They positively identify you as you. Here's what you need to understand. In the old section, the Old Testament of the Bible, there are numerous specific predictions or prophecies about the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ. And it says, when the Christ comes, this will be true. And when the Messiah comes, this will be true. And that way, they would know, what are we looking for? What are are we looking for? It seems clear that God Almighty didn't want some imposter, some fraud, falsely claiming, I'm the Messiah and everybody buying it. So he gave this very specific fingerprint evidence in the Old Testament that the New Testament Messiah had to match. You tracking? In other words, if the genuine promised Messiah didn't match the Old Testament fingerprints with precision, then the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, they would know, yep, this is the one. How do we know it? The fingerprints match. Or they would know, nope, that's a fake That's a fraud. How do we know they're a fake and a fraud? Because the fingerprints from the Old Testament don't match. Okay? 
Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Micah lived between 750 B.C. before the cross, 686 B.C., okay? About 700 years before Jesus came and he was born in Bethlehem, okay? So 700 years, and uh, just give you a little perspective, that'd be like somebody in 1300 A.D. Go back 700 years, somebody saying, I think there's this amazing evangelist and he's going to be born in Charlotte, North Carolina. And any guesses, 19, uh, I think it's 21, any guesses who that is? Uh, that's Billy Graham, yeah. So someone very specifically saying this amazing evangelist has come and he's going to be born in this city. Micah 5.2, here we go. But you, Bethlehem, Epaphta, though you're small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will rule over Israel. His origins are from old, like he always has been from ancient times. So, that's the Old Testament requirement. Must be born in, born in any other city. It's a fake. It's a fraud. Now, go with me to Luke chapter 2. The Magi, the wise men, they come to Herod in Jerusalem, and they ask Herod, Hey, Herod! Uh, we've been following this star. Um, where is the king of the Jews supposed to be born? Uh, Herod turns to the chief priests, teachers of the law, and he asks them, hey, smart guys, where is the fingerprint evidence demanding that this king of the Jews be born? Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Luke chapter 2, verse 6 Herod, that's an easy one. <laughs> I, I learned this in elementary school. They quote Micah 5 and verse 2, 700 years ago. Micah saw that when the Messiah comes, if he's the real deal, he must be born where? The worlds, the deltas, the arches require. If he's not born in Bethlehem, he's a fake, he's an imposter. Now, Joseph and Mary were from where? Anybody? That's not a trick question. Where were they from? They were from Nazareth, and they had to go and travel to Bethlehem. And it says at just the right moment, Mary was traveling, and she was very great with child. She was very pregnant, we would say. And the king, at just the right time, in Rome, a thousand miles away, demanded that everybody head to their ancestral hometown to be taxed. Aren't you glad you don't have to travel to write your check? Anyway, travel to write your check, and even though they were from Nazareth, they traveled to Bethlehem to pay their taxes. And the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem matches perfectly the fingerprint that Micah said must be matched. You understand? He, he met it, he bang on. Even though he was actually from Nazareth, wound up at just the right time to be born in Bethlehem as Micah 5 verse 2 required. Same chapter, Matthew chapter 2, records a detail that's important. King Herod is angry because now the, the scholars, the the, the Religious leaders have said 
There's a king of the Jews born. And Herod thought, I'm the king of the Jews. What do you mean there's a king of the Jews who's been born? So he's so angry and so jealous that he orders Matthew 2, verse 16, the slaughter of all the little boys in the Bethlehem area. Verse 14, Joseph and Mary were warned in a dream. And in the middle of the night, Joseph and Mary flee to Egypt. Why? Because if they don't leave, Jesus is going to be slaughtered because of Herod's jealous wrath and evil. Okay? So they're able to go and they, they flee and they hide out in Egypt. How could they survive? I don't think they had a MasterCard. I don't think they were wealthy. How did they survive? Well, it just so happened that they had some guests. And what did they bring them? Gold and frankincense and myrrh. And it's like the Lord said, you're going to need to run, and I'm going to make sure that you have some valuables so you can live and survive there in Egypt. Now, hold your spot. If you go back to Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1, Here's what Hosea said about 650 years before Bethlehem. Hosea 11.1, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Interesting. Out of Egypt, I called my son. And we know that after Herod's death, Joseph and Mary were able to return to Nazareth from Egypt. Luke 2, verses 19 to 23. So, catch this. So unless the Messiah at some point spent some time in Egypt, he's not the Messiah. If, if whoever you think it is didn't spend some time in Egypt, that Messiah is a fraud because his life doesn't fit the requirements, the loops, the worlds, the deltas of Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1. Let's look at another one, okay? Uh, locate Old Testament book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel was written about a thousand years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And here's what it says, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. When your days are over, David, and you rest with your ancestors, I'm going to raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. And I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom. How long? Forever. I'll be his father. He'll be my son. When he does wrong, he goes on. But here's the point, King David. Here's the promise. One of your ancestors is going to be that eternal king. That, that ancestor, I promise you. So here's the requirement from 2 Samuel chapter 7. When the Messiah, the Christ, comes, check their lineage. Check their ancestry. Make sure the one who claims to be the Messiah, the Christ, is in the bloodline of King David. Okay? So you go and check that out. And if they're not, they're fakes and they're frauds not to be believed. Pause. Give me your eyes. Important point. In 70 A.D., the Roman general Titus led the Roman army in a siege, and eventually the 
complete destruction and annihilation of the city of Jerusalem and the temple. Here's what you need to know. It was in the temple that they kept the detailed ancestral records of the nation of Israel. So all of the genealogies, they were kept in the temple, and in 70 A.D., they were burned and destroyed, completely wiped out. Does that make sense? You track it. So therefore, after 70 A.D., no one could check to see if King David's bloodline matched whoever claimed to be the Messiah. After 70 A.D., you couldn't go and check. Okay, now let's, let's go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, here we go. Here's what it says. Uh, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of who? Okay, now you can just read on, you can look at it later, but I want you to slide down to verse 16, because now this is what matters This is matching the evidence. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who's called the Messiah. Guess what? This is Joseph's ancestors. And now you have here the record, and they checked with detail by the tax man named Matthew. And the conclusion, you better believe it, Jesus in his father's household was an ancestor in the bloodline of King David. That's a match. But if that's not enough, this is kind of cool, go to Luke chapter 3 with me. Luke chapter 3 and verse 23. Most scholars believe Luke chapter 3 is the lineage of his mother, Mary. Okay, so Matthew records dad's, human dad, Joseph's bloodline. Now look at verse 23 will go. Now, Jesus was himself about 30 years old. He began his ministry. Um, He was the son, so it was thought of Joseph. And now you can read down through there, and I want you to slide down to verse 31. The son of Mela, the son of Mena, the son of Matha, the son of Nathan. Aren't you glad you're not reading? Uh, Look at the next one. The son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz. Note the pedigree. This is, this, I think this is neat. Both mom and dad were descendants from the bloodline of King David. So just in case you were wondering, we're, we're going to make both sides match. And note, when Matthew wrote this down, Matthew was written in the early 50s. About 20 years after the cross and the empty tomb, track with me now, there was still 15 or 20 years before Titus would destroy the temple and the city. There was about 15 or 20 years that people could still go and check and make sure, is Jesus who claims to be the Christ and we believe he's the, is he really in the lineage of King David? Do you think anybody checked? I think hundreds went and checked, Uh, especially the skeptics, especially the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They were going to go check and see if indeed he was in the bloodline, the whirls, the loops, uh, was against amazing odds. Was this Jesus really 
an ancestor of King David? And one more time, I just want you to know, bang on, perfect match, 2 Samuel 7 to Matthew chapter 1, Luke chapter 3. Uh, the fingerprint is spot on and incredible. I want to give you one more piece of fingerprint evidence. And then next week, I'd like to spend our, our final Sunday by looking at the final week of Jesus' life on earth and see what the Old Testament said about Jesus' final week on earth. And it's, it's powerful too. Um, go back in the Old Testament because there's where the fingerprint requirements were. Isaiah 35 verses 5 and 6. Here's what Isaiah writes. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened when the Messiah comes and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Verse 6. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. So what's Isaiah saying? So when the Messiah comes, how can you know if he's the real deal? Look at his works. Is he able to perform powerful, miraculous miracles? That's going to be one of the key evidences. Now go with me to Matthew chapter 11. Let's see if he matches. Uh, John the Baptist has been arrested. He's awaiting execution. We know some little girl's going to do a, a, a fancy dance and he's going to lose his head. And he knows his time is short. But the truth is, in the awful confines of an ancient prison, John the Baptist is struggling. Okay? He, the greatest man ever born of a woman, Matthew 11, 11, which is John the Baptist, is struggling and battling doubt and discouragement. And I don't know about you, but that gives me a ray of hope. You ready? Because if the greatest man ever born of a woman faces seasons of doubt, then it's going to be normal for us too, right? It's going to, just going to happen. Now, he's doubting, and uh, John sends some disciples, and he says, Are you really the Messiah? Are you really the Christ? Are you really the anointed one? And they come to Jesus and they ask him that question. Are you the Messiah? Are you the real deal? Here's Jesus' answer, Matthew 11, verses 2 to 6. And uh, he, he says some powerful things. And did I turn there quickly enough? No. Uh, can I read off the tiny screen here? No. Am I stalling right now while I find? Yes. Okay, here we go. Verse 2. Okay. When John was in prison, he heard about the deeds of the Messiah, sent his disciples, are you the one? Here's what Jesus says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. <laughs> Jesus is saying, hey, remember what Isaiah wrote down? Remember what Isaiah predicted? Do you remember the fingerprint requirements that Isaiah said? When the Messiah comes, he's going to have to match that. Well, match that against what I've been doing. And here's what he says. The blind are receiving sight. The lame are walking again. The leprosy, those with leprosy, and I touch them, they're cleansed. Those who are deaf, they're hearing great. And even Lazarus is dead and he's living again. And the reason the religious leaders began to plot to kill Jesus, 
Do you remember why? Why were the religious leaders afraid and decided Jesus had to die? John eleven forty seven. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away our temple and our nation. If he keeps on with this miraculous stuff, everybody's going to believe. We're going to lose our positions of power and authority. We're going to lose our cash cow. He's going to have to die. They understood what he was doing. It was miraculous. So, what do these fingerprint matches mean to us today? Why does the evidence matter to you and to me? Here we go. This might be a place to take a note because this is kind of fun. Uh, A well-known mathematician named Peter Stoner has done some calculations for us. And uh, this is conservative number, 40 of those Old Testament requirements, at least 40, and that require Jesus to match them perfectly in the New Testament. Got it? So 40, so with all the variables, as a mathematician, he's going to calculate the chances that someone would just by accident just kind of stumble into matching all 40 uh, just by chance, okay? It would require a number of one with 157 zeros after it, okay? So one, zero, 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 okay? And some of you in your heads just keep going, okay, because you're really good at math. And now 157 zeros, that's the chance that somebody would just accidentally fall into all 40 of these being matched. Latest calculations, there are about 500 billion galaxies in the universe. 500 billion galaxies, and each of those galaxies contains hundreds of billions of stars. Okay, so I know your head's exploding because it makes mine too. But, But here's what you need to know. That number of one with 157 zeros after it, there's, you take all the atoms in all of those 500 billion galaxies, and each galaxy, there aren't as many atoms in all of those billions and billions of galaxies, and in billions and billions of stars. That number is bigger than all the atoms in all of those galaxies, and all of those hundreds of billions of stars. That number is so massive, you can't even get your head around it. Here's my point. I think God Almighty knew that we tend to be a skeptical bunch, don't we? We're doubters. (laughs) We follow in Thomas' footsteps, I'm telling you. We're prone to wander. It's like the Lord knew that we needed some powerful evidence to base our lives upon. Please know, to follow Jesus and build your life on His book doesn't mean you've got to check your brain at the door. Matter of fact, I'm just here to tell you the evidence is strong. And we're going to look at more next week, but I just want you to know the evidence shows that this book can be trusted and believed and obeyed. That's what we need to understand. This book is true 
and verifiable, and there's lots of evidence, which means this is the most relevant book in all of history. You understand? Suddenly now you say, no, no, I, I get it. That didn't just happen by chance. It's clear, it's obvious, this is God's book, which means it's so relevant. And I don't need to be embarrassed by God's Word. I don't need to backpedal away from Jesus and His Word, the Bible. So I want to go back to the very first thing. So followers of Jesus, daily revere Christ as Lord. Daily make Jesus the king of your life. Daily walk with Jesus. And then when we get connected to him, people will notice. (laughs) And then you can give them the reasons why you love Jesus, why you follow Jesus. I want you to know the evidence is strong and it's powerful. And it's really relevant for our lives. It really is. Let's pray together as we close. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've never heard the evidence that we talked about this morning. Very possible. You've never been presented with the facts that declare Jesus really is the Messiah. He really is the Christ who really took our place on the cross. He shed his blood for my greatest problem. I'm a sinner. And your greatest problem, you're a sinner. And Jesus took our place in the tomb and rose victoriously over sin and Satan and death. He did that for me. He did that for you. Today, December 2nd, 2018, can be the day you say yes. The evidence is strong and compelling. Jesus, I believe you are the Messiah. I believe you are the Savior. The evidence matches perfectly. You took the hit for my sin problem. You took my place in the grave, arose from the dead for me. And by faith today, December 2nd, 2018, I choose to believe those facts for me. I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, my Lord, my King. Anyone say as we close, you know what? That's me, Pastor Jeff. The facts are strong. They're compelling. The evidence is powerful. And today, I'm ready to say yes to Jesus Christ. Anybody as we close? Nobody's looking around, but I'd just like to pray for you. I'm not going to call you up. I'm not going to make you stand. But I would like to pray for you. Anybody say, yep, I'm ready to give my life to that Jesus. The evidence is strong and powerful. Anybody here? Lord, thank you for the powerful evidence that you've blessed us with, which means, Lord, there's no more excuses for not lining our lives up with your book. Lord, help us to be passionate about daily revering your son Jesus as Lord and King. Our lives, Lord, can stand on the rock. It's relevant, it's alive, it's trustworthy. Help us to stand daily, hourly on your word. 
It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray these things.